0: Bismillah Rahman Rahim Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Wasallah Wasalam Mubarak Allah Sayyidina Wa Mulana Muhammadin Wa Allah Alihi Wasahbihi Wasalam Tasliman Kathira Allahum Alimna Mayan Fauna Wan Fauna Bima Alam Tana Wasidna bin Fadrika ilman Wa Taalima In Nakala Kulisha in Kadir Wabad As Salaamu Alaikum Rahmatullah this is Lesson 5, correct? Lesson 5 in Module 10 of Heart matter. So we're coming close to the end of the diseases of the heart that we've been speaking about for a few weeks. And what I noticed in the previous two sessions, at least on my part, I felt that I was rushing to finish the material. I think I put too much in there. So today, we're only going to cover three diseases of the heart. Uh, the first one will take up the most amount of time, uh, and then we have two others, and we'll leave the floor for questions or anything of that nature. So we've been talking about the diseases of the heart. Now who can answer the question before we begin? Why do we talk about the amrad or the diseases of the heart, before the positive qualities that we should cultivate in the heart? Why start with negative things? Right. You, if you have a garment and it's soiled with dirt, should you wash it before you perfume it or perfume it and then wash it? Then well, you wash it. So the idea is a tahliya coming before tahliya. So you have the removal of the bad and then adorning with the good. But that doesn't mean that you spend all your time getting rid of the bad and you don't do anything good. That's not what it means. But what it means is you need to prioritize getting rid of the bad as you adorn yourself with the good, right? The two work in tandem. And Imam al-Ghazari gives a really beautiful example of this. And he was talking about the senses and what comes into our senses, but it applies here too. He gives the analogy of a pond. So let's take his analogy and reframe it in a more modern context. Let's imagine you have a pond, and that pond is situated not too far from a factory. And that factory produces things that leaves off toxic waste, that goes downstream, and there's a stream going from the factory right into that pond, and over time, that pond becomes, there used to be fish in it, now the fish have died, it's toxic, you can't drink the water, you can't fish in it, you can't even see the bottom anymore, it's filled with toxic sludge coming from that factory, and let's say that factory is quite large, and let's say there's not just one stream of toxic waste going into the pond, let's say there's four or five or more. So you come into the pond and you want to get out all the toxic waste. So you, you get in a little raft, you go into the pond and you get some instruments to shovel out all the toxic sludge. You can spend days upon days doing that, but is it going to really solve the problem? It's going to keep coming. It's going to keep coming. The more you, you shovel out, the more is coming in from the factory. So you have to seal the streams of toxic waste coming from the factory, and then you dig it out and get out all the sludge, and then you restore the pond to where it becomes pristine and clean so that the fish can come back and so that it can reflect in the bottom, you can see the bottom, and it's clear. So, tahliya and tahliya go hand in hand But there is priority with getting rid of the things that impede our spiritual progress before we can really make proper spiritual progress. All right? So, we've talked about a number of diseases of the heart. And these diseases, the ulama say, it is fardain, it is individually obligatory for us to know these diseases, what they are, how to get rid of them, and so on. So today's disease, the first one we're covering, is a really major one, and it's a really tough one. And what makes it tough is that it can be very, very subtle. And that is the disease of showing off, of riya. So let's read the words of Imam Muhammad Mawlood and look at what this disease means. Imam Muhammad Rahimahullah says that showing off is one of the calamities of the heart, whose definition is to perform an act of devotion for other than the Creator's sake. The word in Arabic for showing off is Riyah. And that word comes from the root of to be seen, from Ra'ah, right? he, He sees... He saw, I see, right? So to be seen, to do an act to be seen. And in English, they have a fancier word, they call it ostentation, but we can say showing off. And it is described by the Prophet SallAllahu as a shirk al-asghar or the minor shirk. And he said SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam that he did not fear his ummah falling into major shirk, but rather the minor shirk of doing things for other than the sake of Allah. It's minor shirk because it's not literally worshipping other than Allah, but it is doing an act of devotion so that others see that person, so they get their praise and have esteem in their eyes and so on. But let's pay very close attention to the words of the imam. He defines riya this calamity of the heart as performing an act of devotion, of ibadah for other than the creator's sake. So this is a uh, qa'id. This is a qa'id. So by saying an act of devotion, that removes from the definition other forms of showing off. Such as dressing really nicely for a walima. Right? Dressing really nicely for Jumu'ah so you can be seen and people like what you're wearing and they compliment you. Is that showing off? It is. But it's not the showing off that we're talking about here. If a person dresses nicely so they can be seen by others and praised, that, that is a form of showing off. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about an act of worship, ibadah, that is done... And the person is adorning it, beautifying it, so that they can be seen by others, right? This definition also excludes mixed intentions that don't involve showing off to other people. For instance, the person goes to hajj, and their intention is to go for the hajj and also buy and sell, right? So the intention is a little bit mixed there. But they're not doing it just to be seen of others. So the definition is very precise. It is doing an act of worship to be seen by other people. And he clarifies. He says, rather, it is for the purpose of seeking some worldly benefit or praise from his creation or to protect oneself from the opposite, that is, Loss of wealth or dispraise. Now, the ulama they say that at the root of the disease of showing off is what they call tama, which is like craving, where you covet and desire something, and it's because you crave and covet that thing you seek it through these means, right? And what is coveted, what is desired, is to gain the praise of other people or to escape the opposite of praise. You don't want to be criticized, right? So a person, if we take the simplest example of riyah, a person who adorns their prayer, and they stand up very straight, and they look very humble. If they do that when they're in the presence of other people, they're either doing it because they want the admiration of those people, MashaAllah, he's so pious. MashaAllah, look at his khushur. Right? They want the admiration. Or, they don't want to be seen in a bad light. Oh, this person, he's so distracted in his prayer that he's fidgeting around. He's not really concentrating. They don't want to be criticized, so they straighten up and they don't move as much. Right? So they're either seeking, desiring the praise of other people, or they're trying to avoid blame. Now think about how those two play out in our lives. How many things do we do or say to either earn the praise of other people or avoid their criticism? It's very prevalent. And so we have to be careful because if that seeps into our ibadah, we're not uh, worshiping those people, but we are adorning the worship to get that praise or to avoid that criticism. And this, he says, comes from tamar. That's the root. It is this craving and coveting. What are they coveting? The praise of others. Or they're craving or desiring to keep their reputation. And if they don't do that, people may look at them in a bad light and they lose their good reputation. So, uh, commenting on the nature of riya, the ulama, they mention uh, that it's actually, it can be very subtle. And this is why it is tricky to treat, because you have to be very honest with yourself and not engage in any self-deception. Uh, one of the latter-day Madh'hi scholars, Ibn Hamdun, he mentions that there are six forms of riya. Uh, and this is not hasar, it's not restricting it to only six. He's just giving the more prevalent examples of how it manifests. So he says that there is riya, showing off, with the body. And that is, some of these, when you, when you read them, they don't make perfect sense today, because we live in a different age. So before I even read what he says, I want you to get the proper framing here. If you go back in Muslim societies 200, 300 years ago, They did not have football stars. They didn't have basketball stars. Athletes were not the most popular people in the culture, nor did they have Hollywood or Bollywood. Actors were not the most prestigious people in society. Believe it or not, the most prestigious people in society were either ulama, qudat, or ubad and zuhad very pious ascetic people, right? So, and and you see this in multiple Islamic civilizations where a person, for instance, grows up and they become very educated and they become a scholar and they're seen as a superstar. They're a celebrity because they have prestige in their town, in their region. People come to them for questions. They respect them because they respect ilm. And so this would sometimes get to their heads. So when they realize there's a problem, and they would consult with their senior shuyukh, those senior shuyukh would instruct them to do certain things that would break down their nafs a little bit. Right? Uh, so there's stories like this. So what Ibn Hamdun says here, some of this is contextualized for that time. So he says, showing off with the body, making oneself appear sallow and thin to make it seem to others that one is a zahid, an ascetic person who is staying awake in the night in prayer. Having disheveled hair, ash'ath akbar, so that others think he is too busy with dhikr to bother with such trifling things or purposely developing a zabiba, the prostration mark, so that people think that this person is pious and always in prayer. Some of these still exist, but it's less common, right? So, if you were to, in that society especially, if you were to make yourself appear really skinny, and almost like a yellowish tinge because of hunger, you know, you're like, you're the pious person. You're the Zahid, the abid. You're so ascetic and detached from the world. And through that, people admire you. This, he says, is a form of Riyadh with the body. Uh, out of these, I don't really see many people doing them because they're not exactly enjoyable. But the last one does exist. The last one does exist. Where a person would purposely like, press the head into the carpet to give themselves that as a mark of prestige, right? You know, I'm from the Sajidun, the people of Sajda. And that is a kind of riyah if they're doing it to get the the admiration of others, right? Um, The more obvious forms are beautifying the prayer when you're in the presence of other people. So there's a story you always tell kids. It's probably not a true story. It's one of those stories out there. It said that a man was in the masjid, and he was he was by himself. And he was praying salah like he would normally pray when no one's around, you know, just pray. And then some people walk in. He notices their presence behind him, so he straightens up a little bit, doesn't move around as much. He makes his rukoo' a bit longer, makes his sajda a bit longer. He comes back up into the second raka'ah and allegedly those people in the back were talking and they said, masha'Allah, look at that prayer. So khashir. And then in the middle of the prayer, he turned and said, and I'm fasting too. <laughs> I doubt that's a true story, but you, know, you never know. You never know. So it was done like this. Um, I think there's an important point to mention here. Because most people, if they're honest with themselves, they will recognize a discrepancy between how they pray salat when they're all by themselves or at home and how they pray when, when they're in the masjid around other people. That, however, doesn't automatically mean one is guilty of riya. It doesn't automatically mean you're guilty of riya. Think about it, you're at home, you're tired, it becomes a kind of routine, right? And that's the, where their ibadah loses the ba and becomes ada, becomes a habit. And so a person may rush through the movements or they're not as content and as tranquil as they should be. But if they go to uh, the haram or they go to Medina, their prayers are much better. And it's not because they're showing off for anybody in Mecca or Medina. It's because of where they are. The presence is reminding them of the, of the value of khushur. It humbles them, and they become humbled. And the same thing happens in Masajid. A person can pray a certain way at home, and they notice they pray a little better in the masjid. And maybe that is because they're trying to show off. But maybe also... They're just reminded, they're just reminded by being in the house of Allah that this is the place of salat and dhikr and that puts them in a, a tranquil state where they're concentrating more, more than they might have done at home. So it's not a guarantee that just because there's a discrepancy, a person's automatically showing off. Uh, that said, Imam al Ghazali and others say that if you want to treat this issue, you should... The, the ideal is that the way we are publicly and privately is the same. But to treat this, some of them say, do more and better when you're all alone than you do in public. So that would mean that you pray with even more attention and longer in private than you would in public, so that there's no discre- the only discrepancy is going in a positive direction. Sincerity in private, and sincerity in public, right? So that's one thing. Uh, the other kind of riya that Imam Ibn Hamdun mentions is the riya through body language. Uh, and this one, you might see it. And we don't, we don't know if a person is doing it out of showing off or not. We can only recognize it in ourselves, And the body language would be putting on pious airs, right? Any as they say. The person is just, you know, their head is down, you know, the eyes are closed, like, like they're in pious tafakkur, wa muraqaba, they're in this deep state. Maybe they're not. They're just doing that to be seen as this mashallah He's just so focused. Right? Closing the eyes, hanging the head down. Riya can also be with garments, so he says wearing wool, or tattered garments, or dirty garments to give the appearance that one doesn't care about such trivialities. And you read that, you know clearly that he's speaking about that time, because back then that was prestigious. If you were detached from the world, and you had one thobe and it has patches, you know? you're seen as this abid, zahid, munqati'un anid dunya, you're cut off from the world, you only care about dhikr and ibadah, you'll get prestige. Now people come to the masjid and they don't really care about what they wear. A lot of people, right? There's no real prestige to be given by dressing that way anymore. But it could be in other ways, right? If the person, uh, they dress like a sheikh because they want to be treated like a sheikh, right? Right? They put on the big amama, because they want to get the they want to be seen as the sheikh, you know. So it, and only they know, right? We can't. You can't have of look for people and say, oh, he's wearing a really nice stove and a turban, therefore he's trying to show off. You can't do that. That's haram. You can only look inward and say, am I dressing this way to look like a sheikh? to get the respect of people who think I'm some scholar and give me respect, right? So that's the third one. Uh, fourth one, Riyah in statements. Riyah in statements. And number four, in, in reality, that that turns around and comes in this direction because that is what he says is the Riyah of wu'adh, and mashayikh and khutaba, people who give khutbas and speeches, preachers who adorn their words and they may even put them in saja' in rhyming patterns, and they may utter wisdoms and alter their voice to make it appear that they are in a deep spiritual state when they have no state at all. La halalahum عند Allah. It's just tasannu', they're just putting on airs. So this would be a person who is giving a speech, a khutbah, and inwardly there's no khushur, there's no no genuine state, but they make it appear as if they have that state through the way they express themselves. Oh, you know, they just overly adorn their words to make themselves look extra pious. Right? If you're not Sheikh Abdul Hamid Kishk, then don't pretend to be. You know, that's it Just If you have your hal If Allah inspires you to say something in a certain way It comes out, it comes out You don't do this tasannu' Which is purposely manufacturing A certain way of speaking and being So that can be riya as well Where a person does that to get the admiration of others uh, The fifth one is action Which we talked about That's lengthy standing in, the, in, in, in qiyam Ruku' and sajda where a person is still when they're praying in public, but when they're at home, they're fidgeting around all over the place and they're not doing anything like what they do when they are in public. And lastly, he says, uh, gathering a crowd of students around oneself, mixing with lots of sheikhs so that it is thought that he is a sheikh. He's speaking to the time when the sheikhs were like celebrities. The person puts on airs of being a sheikh by going around all the shuyuch. This still exists, by the way. I'm gonna tell you where it exists. It exists on social media. Wherever there's the sheikh or the shuyuch, this person's always there with the selfies. Look, I'm with the sheikh. Look, I'm with sheikh so and so. It's always a picture of them with the sheikh, this them with this sheikh and that sheikh, and they're not even studying. They're just going for barakah to take the picture, to say, look, I've been with the sheikh. I was with that sheikh and that one and that alim. And it becomes a way of getting a reputation for being close to the ulama. So they're basically like parasites. Those mashaykh have prestige and respect and they get respect by their association with those shuyukh, even though they're not actually studying that much. This is a problem, this still exists. And one can add to that other forms, uh, not shuyukh, but you know, all the endless selfies people take. Is that possibly an avenue of riya? It could be. You know, people make umrah, you know, after their tawaf, after their two rak'ahs behind Maqam Ibrahim, there's that place. And we assume the best with people, that they're just taking a, a picture, or memories for their family but you know some people they take it above and beyond they got the live stream going on while they're in tawaf and like come on have some dignity have some dignity a picture with your family fine but have some dignity and don't assume that you're safe from riyah in these things now so that means we have two we have kind of two things going on here uh, as Muslims, we want to be on guard against looking at other Muslims and assuming that they're showing off when they do those things. But at the same time, we recognize the risk and fear it in ourselves and check our intentions when we do these kinds of things. So we don't want to have the opposite, which is to assume that we are free of awryah But all these other masakeen, they're just showing off. That's the opposite of what we want. That's wadhan. So this is Ibn Hamdun's six types of riya. And there's many other forms. Imam Ghazali mentions a form of riya that a person does when they're all by themselves. How is that possible? Think about that for a moment. How can a person be a morai, a show-off, Committing Riyadh when they're all by themselves.
1: That's not an easy one. Anything come to mind? They might what? They might have a phone. And what are they doing with the phone?
0: Yeah, I mean, it could be, yeah. But what I would say about that one is, although they are physically alone, they're still connected with other people socially while they're on the phone. So that's not actually the answer I was gonna give. You have one? We're gonna get to that one. That's not it, but that's coming up. That's coming up, yes. Well, there's, that's the appreciation of the action or, or seeing it as it comes from you. But that wouldn't be riyah because you're not actually showing off to anybody. Oh, to yourself? No. So Imam Khazadi gives the answer. He says, the riyah that a person can do when they're all by themselves is when, and, and again, this goes back to that culture where scholarship was truly appreciated he says, it's when the person is at home, all by themselves. And they open a book and come across a very nice piece of hikmah, piece of wisdom. Some really cool thing. And they memorize it because they're just waiting to, for the opportunity to pull it out of their pocket in a gathering so that people would respect them and admire them for their wisdom. So it's basically riya before the actual moment of pulling it out and, and, and getting the admiration of people. So It's the intention. If it's wisdom and you memorize it because you're going to teach people, right? you're a teacher or teach your children and you're going to benefit them and it's for the sake of Allah, then it's fine. The idea is he's memorizing it because he's waiting for that chance when they're all sitting after dinner with his friends to say, you know, this and this and this, and mashallah, look how smart I am. Right? So that can be riya even before they see other people. All right.
1: Now, uh,
0: here, uh, the ulama, the scholars mention that it is not riya, to seek status from others by doing things that are not acts of worship, such as rehearsing poetry. Rehearsing poetry means reciting poetry, right? You're in a gathering, you just recite some poetry. Or to show one's knowledge of medicine or math or grammar. So you may be doing it to get admiration But it's not the prohibited form of riya because it doesn't involve ibadah. It's just talking about grammar or mathematics or science and so on. So the ulama say that that's not haram. It's not in the same category unless that results in a person having pride or harming others or becoming conceited and other blameworthy qualities. So they're careful to distinguish between Seeking prestige through worldly means Math, science, medicine, poetry And seeking prestige through religious means Meaning things that are supposed to be ibadah For the sake of Allah alone So it is seeking the prestige from others Through actions that are only for Allah Ta'ala And don't involve other people um, The worst riyaah there's levels the worst is of course nifaq the nifaq of uh, outwardly expressing islam while concealing kufr that's the worst form the second of the of the worst forms is uh, riya and ibadah uh, where a person is praying to be seen by others or they give zakat to be seen by others or they lengthen and beautify their prayer but they're sloppy in prayer when alone, right? So that's, that's pretty clear. How do we treat this? Now, of course, the ulama give us the ilmi and the amali ways, the theoretical and the practical ways of treating this disease. But before we look at that, we should consider that it is unbecoming of any of us to assume that we don't have this problem No one should ever say, I don't have riyah Because the Prophet wasallam says That which I fear the most for my ummah Is this form of minor shirk of showing off So if it is what he fears the most Among the things he feared the most for the ummah It makes sense that we also fear it and are on guard against it. That means that we don't assume that we have uh, freed ourselves of it, because it can creep up in very subtle ways. We have to always question our intentions, and that's really the starting point. So let's assume that it's something we struggle with from time to time. How do we cure it? There is the inmi and amali aspect, the the theoretical knowledge base, and the practical method. Imam Muhammad Mawlud says it's cured by knowing that if all creation were to join forces to oppose you or support you, they would not be able to do so except by his permission. Indeed he alone possesses rewards for your actions in both abodes and he is all-powerful, the good and thankful. It is also cured By being always conscious of its harm Which results in detesting it And thus warding it off You see so many of these diseases Are treated just by pure tawheed Just tawheed al mahd This pure unmitigated recognition That Allah alone has all power Allah alone has all control And we know that we know it, we have that belief But it's not always translated into our actions The things that we do So he's telling us that you can cure yourself of riya When you know in the depths of your soul That no one can bring benefit or harm Except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala You see the struggle here Because we, you, already, you already know it, I already know it We already know that You can't be a Muslim and not know that but you may still struggle with riya because it hasn't really penetrated to affect the character right so this is what he says and he's referencing here the hadith from ibn abbas عنهما, when the prophet mentions uh, should i not teach you some words and he mentions it's a lengthy hadith and at the end of it he says no that if all the nations were to gather against you to harm you, they would not be able to harm you except for what Allah has decreed. And if they all gathered to benefit you with something, they could not benefit you with anything except what Allah has decreed. We understand that, we believe that. But reminding ourselves of that reality is what helps us get rid of this desire to seek prestige and praise of others by showing off in our ibadah. He says you also cure it by being conscious of how harmful it is. And when you're conscious of its harm, because it pollutes the heart, you begin to hate it more and more, and the more you hate it, the more you avoid it, and you free yourself of it. So these two are ilmi, they're the theoretical, the knowledge aspect. He says that is the theoretical treatment. And veiling one's actions from the eyes of others is its practical treatment, as is frequent recitation of Surah Al Ikhlas and the master supplication for forgiveness. So he gives us three things here. Uh, the first one is concealing our actions. There's the, the famous story uh, of, there's actually more than one story. There's a few uh, across history from the second and third generations of people who would give sadaqah secretly and no one knew who was giving out the sadaqah secretly until they died and the sadaqah stopped coming to certain people. Right? So there are many great people who would do certain things secretly and no one would ever see it. That is a treatment. Now, let's say a person wants to get to the bottom of riya. They want to get rid of it. This means that they want to try to do acts of ibadah outside of the, the gaze of other human beings. So that is prayer in private, fasting without necessarily telling anyone, giving sadaq, sadaqah secretly, where the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is given. You know, it's very subtle. Uh, helping people out in subtle ways that no one knows about. And no one ever finds out about Because when you do that It, it has no yeah, I mean, There's no Share of nafs In that If you do it publicly You, know, you may have a share of nafs your, your nafs may benefit in some way Because people see you you, know, you feel good, I'm pious, mashallah I'm a good Muslim But if you do it privately and no one sees it There's no one to appreciate it Except al shakur, subhanahu wa ta'ala So that is a treatment That doesn't mean that everything should be private though Doesn't mean that everything should be secret There is a sharia benefit In also doing things publicly That's why we have salat and jama'ah That's why we have the Eid That's why we have so many things Because Islam is a social deen It's manifested socially Islam does not endure when we all do our private thing and We never see each other Right? Likewise, if you are a parent or you have a position of authority and respect in the eyes of others, it's also important for you to do certain things publicly where they can see it. You're doing it for the sake of Allah, but you're also purposely doing it in front of those people, your children or people under you, so that they are influenced because you are a Qudwa. You're an example for them. Right, And this is why the great imams would say That ulama and uh, sulaha Very pious people and elders They should do certain things publicly They should give sadaqah publicly At times Because They're sincere inshallah But they're also doing it with the Intention of teaching Teaching people Now one of the ulama of Andalusia He said if you are praying in the masjid and you're worried about showing off in prayer, make the intention that you're praying for the sake of Allah and you're also praying to teach people how to pray properly. That's one of the ways of escaping it. You say, okay, I'm going to pray properly. Anyone who sees me, well, this is the proper way of praying. And inshallah, you escape Riyah with that intention. So education can be an intention that goes along with whatever you're doing. Uh, That's important for parents. Now, Imam Ghazadi, sorry, the other two. Uh, That's the first treatment. The other treatment, he says, is frequent recitation of Suratul Ikhlas. Uh, And this is from the Mujarrabat, that if a person wants to develop uh, a stronger degree of Ikhlas, let them recite Suratul Ikhlas. Right? Some of the Mashayikh in Sham, they... They recite what they call it the samadhiyya, which is they make it a practice that over the course of weeks, maybe months, they aim to recite surah ikhlas a hundred thousand times. Just as an exercise. You know, doing dhikr by reciting that chapter that mentions sincerity. Right? Qulun Allahu ahad, Allahu samad, the eternally besought. Likewise, One of the ways of treating Riyah is reciting the master supplication for forgiveness. Does anyone know what that dua is? Mm. That is from the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, recorded in Bukhari and other collections. It's called Sayyidul Istighfar. Everyone should memorize that. You should all memorize that dua because... The Prophet ﷺ said, whoever says that in the morning and dies that day, dakhal al-jannah, they enter jannah. And whoever says it in the evening and dies that evening, dakhal al-jannah, they enter jannah. Yes. <laughs> Is Allah musta dua. Uh, Allahumma anta rabbi, la ilaha illa anta, khalaqtani wa ana abduk, wa ana ala ahdika wa wa'dika maslata'at. أعوذ بك من شر ما صنعت لك علي بذنبي فاغفر لي فإنه لا يغفر الذنوب إلا Which means, O oh Allah, You are my Lord. There is no God but You. You created me and I am Your servant and I uphold my covenant and promise with You as best as I can. I seek refuge in You from the evil that I have done. And I acknowledge to I acknowledge your favors upon me, and I acknowledge my sin. So forgive me, for no one can forgive sins except for you. So this is one of the. You could read it more than once, not just once in the morning. You could do it more than that, uh, because in it is a very, it's a very powerful dua that helps cultivate sincerity. Now Imam Ghazali he goes a little deeper and gives. Uh, an analysis of the three things that a person has to address in their heart if they are going to get rid of showing off. He says, the three things that cause showing off, number one, love of praise, right? So the admiration, the praise, respect of, of people. Number two, fear of creation, right? Think about it. The child, maybe they're praying at home and they're fidgeting all over the place and then mom and dad come downstairs and they're straight again. Why are they doing that? They don't want to be criticized by their parents. You see, and that has to be addressed with children and also with ourselves because don't think that it's only for children. Adults do that too. So, love of praise, fear of creation, and number three, uh, covetousness, seeking things, seeking and craving. So, he says that the remedy for this is the same remedy as love of status, which is to really understand that all this praise you would get from other people or their criticism, it's all an illusion. None of this could really harm us, right? Now, we do have in-group thinking, don't we? So if you have your in-group, you wanna be respected by your in-group, your peer group, your family, your relatives, your community, because when they respect you and like you, that signals security. If they're all criticizing you and hating you, that signals insecurity. But ultimately, security is from Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala, Right? And we realize that this is actually harmful to us in the big picture, it creates the ultimate insecurity, insecurity in the hereafter. That will help us to get rid of it because we recognize it's harmful to the soul. Uh, They say that if you know there's poison in honey, you won't eat it despite how appetizing it looks.
1: Right. All right, now, time is it?
0: It looks like I'm covering only one tonight. Uh, so I forgot what was. The, can, do you remember the nature of your question? You had said something earlier. I think I could answer the question then. Yes, that a person can do the like all
1: by And I thought that if it's praying at night and thinking to himself that other like, can't, oh, why
0: Hmm. So this doesn't address that specifically But it's close to it Imam Muhammad Mulud He continues and says Some also consider That merely taking delight In people's awareness Of one's actions Is showing off Right So for example Let's say a person knows you pray Qiyamul layl And you're happy that they know Because they think I'm pious you're not actually praying right now. Maybe you prayed an hour ago. You know, someone found out, and you're kind of happy that they found out. Hmm. Is that riyā? Right. According to Imam Muhammad Maulud, some ulama did consider that a kind of riyā. However, he says the star. And here he says a najm because uh, and back in the day they would say. Uh, Either al Ulama fa Imam Madik huwa Najim or something like this. That when the scholars are mentioned, Imam Madik is the star. Right? This is because they're Madiki, so obviously they have that bias, good bias. Um, he says, though the star, Imam Madik ibn Anas, did not consider that harmful as long as the original intention was based on the foundation of sincerity. So this is, not, this is not a person show, uh, praying and adorning their prayer while other people are watching. It is a kind of retroactive showing off, if it's showing off. It's a showing off after the fact, right? People find out what they did, and they feel happy that they found out. They, they enjoy getting the prestige of those people After the fact, while when they were doing it, no one was around. This is the question. Is that showing off or not? Imam Madik says no. He says if your intention at the onset of the prayer, for instance, was sincere, for Allah's sake. It doesn't get corrupted just because someone finds out later and they praise you and you feel a little happy about that. That doesn't necessarily corrupt it. So he was asked, what do you say about a man who comes to the masjid and thinks to himself that he hopes others see him? He didn't see anything wrong with that as long as the original intention was sincere and the person wards off those thoughts. That's an important point. It's not something you should sit comfortably with. You should ward off those kinds of thoughts. But we understand that these passing thoughts that come to our heart are not necessarily our own right we have all sorts of passing thoughts the khawatir right some of the passing thoughts are angelic right or rabbani or shaitani or nafsani and they come and go the nafsani passing thoughts come and go right you ever You ever walk down the street and you see an absolute stranger and then it crosses your mind. I wonder what would happen if they fell into traffic and then he's gone. you like, where did that come from? You didn't consciously bring it up. It just came and went. Don't take ownership over those thoughts and think that they're your own. If you get that passing thought like, ooh, what if someone sees me? Just let that go. Don't say, oh my God. But if you latch onto it and identify with it and then Crave that now you have a problem, but if it's a passing thought, just let it go, and go back to your asl, the, the foundation of sincerity, inshaAllah Taala. And I think we'll stop there because we have two others, but this was longer than I expected. Um, so this is a major disease of the heart, but you understand the remedy goes all back. It, it, all, it all goes back to one fundamental, which is تحقيق tawhid. It's the realization of Allah's oneness, not just theoretically as an idea in the mind, but as something that transforms how we look at reality itself and how we interact with reality itself. When a person has that that realization of Tawheed, it transforms the way they behave. Uh, If it's just theoretical, you know, they just learned a book, and they affirm it, yes, that's good. We engage the mind, but that has to also engage, be engaged in the heart. And that's how we respond to things. So many of these diseases, right? Uh, relying on other than Allah, which is the next disease. Uh, discontent with Allah's decree, right? Those all go back to problems in the heart relating to Tawheed, right? where the person affirms the tawheed, but they're not actually living it in its truest sense. So inshallah, we'll stop here. And if there's any questions on what we covered tonight, we can take a few questions. Yeah. Well, with children, you have to be generous with praise, especially when they're younger, uh, and encouraging them with ibadah. But as they start to mature, you also want to teach them about sincerity and that the true reward is with Allah. And so you do that by reminding them of Allah's reward for prayer and the the fada'il of prayer and how that benefits them so that they detach the act of prayer, to the praise they get from you. Right? So we encourage them when they're young, but we always want to raise them up to link the prayer to the rewards from Allah Ta'ala and the benefits it has for them, with them and Allah. Yeah, that has nothing to do with showing off, because it's not something of idadah. Uh, Like, if you play basketball, or in your case, soccer, and, you you know, you do some really nice move, some nice trick, and everyone's going, wow, mashallah, you know, and you feel good, like, yeah, look, I'm good. That's not riyah. right? You are feeling happy because they praised you, but it's connected to something of the world. As long as it doesn't become arrogance and conceit, and like, yeah, see, you know, in your face, I'm the best, right? There's a. There could be a thin line depending on the person, but just the feeling, no. Hmm. Yeah, I think like everything, it has to be balanced. Because if you overpraise children for every little thing that creates a negative feedback loop, it doesn't really benefit them in the long run. But if you never praise them, you never give them any feedback that they're doing the right thing, it can stunt their growth. You know, they need to have, needs to be balanced.
1: hmm right. Even if they don't like, you know that, mm-hmm. but they bring up every time talk about the past or about the
0: And yeah so i think it was last month's ask the imam someone asked a question that uh, is similar to what you're asking about so i would refer you to that for a more detailed answer but uh, he's asking about people who do what the scholars call al-ihtijadi they use qadr as an excuse that that's essentially what it is um now there can be a very especially catered answer to that particular person and what they're saying precisely. But more generally, people who use the qadr as an excuse, they're not really honest because they only use it for some things and not for all things. They'll use the qadr as an excuse for not doing something they should do or for doing something they shouldn't do. And after it's happened, oh, you know, qadr of Allah. So, in that, there's a premise. There's, not a, there's a presupposition. The presupposition is since that was from the Qadr of Allah, you should not object. Right? That's the presupposition. Oh, yeah, I didn't bring you that money I owe you. You know, brother, don't take it easy, you know? It's the Qadr of Allah. Right? So, the presupposition is you should calm down because. It's the qadr of Allah, therefore you shouldn't object. If they are sincere in that belief, then they would have no problem if you say, okay, and you smack them. And you say, that was the qadr of Allah too. It's the qadr of Allah, why are you upset? They would be upset with that, but not with this. Showing you that it's not really sincere. It's just a a smoke screen, right? People who use the qadr as an excuse, uh, Specifically Muslims, right? If they say, oh, I don't pray, you know. If I pray, you know, I'll pray when if Allah wills, wants me to pray, I'll start praying. If Allah wants me to be a good Muslim, you know, he'll make me a good Muslim. Yeah, whatever he wills, it's all up to him. They don't say the same thing about food and water and rent and driving a nice car and just surviving. They don't say it about the material. They just say it about the spiritual. Showing you that it's it's just a, it's a false argument, right? And Allah Ta'ala mentions this in the Quran, right? In Surah Yasin, Allah Ta'ala mentions that some of the disbelievers had the exact same argument, right? <laughs> Shall we feed people whom if Allah willed He would feed them? So they're using the Qadr as an excuse. But they would never say, should we feed ourselves if, you know, and we're, if Allah willed, he'd feed us directly? No, they'd make the effort. So the qadr is an excuse for those people, but it's not completely sincere. Because it's, com- it's for this and not for that. Does that make sense? Yeah. But don't, don't, don't smack them. I mean our, our dhikr is, is animated by mention of Allah's decree Inshallah, MashaAllah, Allahu wa MashaFa'al La hawla wa la quwata illa billah Our Islamic remembrance is animated by uh, reminders of Allah's will and power right? His decree So those things should punctuate our conversations with other people But we should not use those dhikrs as silencing tools or ways to get out of responsibility. And we made this joke before. The father goes to the store with his son. The son sees the freezer with ice cream. Baba can have some ice cream. He says, inshallah. And the son says, oh, come on, why not? Why does he say that? because he is associated inshallah with no i'm just not going to say no cuz i don't want to argument but I'll, I'll i'll you know i'll hang out inshallah here to give you a little bit of hope but it probably won't happen so inshallah becomes this way of avoiding the no when a person really intends no we shouldn't use it that way right but we use it in a sincere way inshallah mashallah we don't want to be IBM Muslims. Have you heard of that one? IBM, inshallah, what's the B for? No. Bukra. tomorrow, what's the M for? No. You wish, it was Insha yeah. Inshallah, if Allah wills, bukra tomorrow, Ma'laish. Yani my bad. We don't want to be IBM Muslims. And if you want to be IBM Muslims, it should be Inshallah, Bismillah, MashaAllah. See, that was what you guys first thought, MashaAllah. So you, you want to have IT and, and, and IBM, IT, Iman yani and Taqwa, and IBM, Inshallah, Bismillah, mashallah Not Inshallah, Bukram, Alaysh, as an excuse in smokescreen. Yeah. Inshallah. Okay, Inshallah.
1: Mm-hmm. About, uh,
0: mm-hmm. Air light. mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: Yeah, people know that they're in their tekaf, right? Because they're coming out of it and back into it during the prayer times and during meals. Their family knows and others know. If you, if you are conscious of that as a possibility and you're watching over your heart, analyzing how you feel towards other people seeing you in that situation and you are fearful of it rising within you, that inshallah should protect you. You know, a lot of this comes because a person is not really paying attention to what's going on in their heart. They like the admiration and praise and they're not wary of Riyah. If you're wary of Riyah, it's kind of like Hasid, you know? The person is aware of the feeling arising in their heart and they hate it and they want to get rid of it. They're fighting the good fight, right? Likewise in the Riyah, if a person feels like, hmm, am I craving the praise of someone else? A'u'dhu billah. Then you kind of recommit in the moment, and inshallah, Riyah will not attach itself to their heart. Um, I mean, that's, a, that's the basic way of dealing with it. For matters of itikaaf, just, uh, it goes back to what we said regarding tawheed. Right? If you know fundamentally that Allah is the only one who has all power and only he can benefit and harm, the deeper you understand that, the deeper you realize that and experience it, the further away you will be from riyah. Likewise, the more you understand that Allah is the creator of your actions, the less you will self-identify with those actions. Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an, Allah created you and what you do. So an ideal state, the scholars say, is to, as you're praying, as you're in ittikaf, as you're doing any act of ibadah, try to almost, not literally disassociate, but almost metaphorically step outside of yourself and try to witness the salat, Or the i'tikaf as the gift of God that He's given to you, that He has created, and it's something He gave to you as a gift, where you don't say, This is mine, amali. It is your amal, it is your deed, but Allah created it and facilitated it. When you witness it as a gift, you're not going to latch onto it like it's your own and therefore seek. The praise of other people It is from Allah It's all from Allah And I'll leave you with a hadith The Prophet ﷺ told us That if we do good And we receive the praise of the people afterwards You didn't seek it You didn't mix up your intentions It just happens He says, because he was asked about this that that praise from other believers is from the basha'ir, it's from the early glad tidings of Allah. So, you know, you'll see mashayikh in gatherings and they're being introduced and there the person is reading their long list of accolades and accomplishments and they're off to the side And just Astaghfirullah Astaghfirullah <laughs> But you don't You know You could also say You also say Alhamdulillah Right It's from Allah Whatever وَمَا بِكُم مِن نِعْمَةٍ from اللَّهِ And your actions are ni'mah from Allah So Just because you're praised Doesn't mean it's a bad thing As long as you're not seeking that As long as you're not allowing it To get to your head if you receive praise from good people, this could be from the basha'irul al-khair, the glad tidings, the early glad tidings of qubul, of acceptance. Right? So consider that too. Inshallah, Allah says. I have Sometimes the elders we us, on, like a lot of churches, because they're They're kind of
1: more balanced, they're not
0: if they inspire you to do more, you're not doing it for their praise, but maybe they are inspiring you because they're reminding you to strive a little harder. You know? that, that happens with the Sahaba too. Right? We have the famous hadith of Hanbala such a beautiful hadith. Uh, Imam Abu Hassan al Shavidi, he extracted 10 points of benefit from that hadith uh, uh, Sayyidina Handala anhu, uh, Met up with Abu Bakr As-Siddiq anhu, And he looked a bit sad and depressed Abu Bakr said what's wrong with you And he says Naafaqa Handala Na fa- has become a hypocrite He says what do you mean He says well When we're in the company of the Prophet it's as if we see Jannah, that level of yaqeen and clarity. But when we go home and we're back with our family and kids, we lose a lot of that. So Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, he said, Wallahi, I deal with the same problem. Let's go to the Prophet Wasallam. And so they go to him and they complain of this problem. نَافَقَ حَنظَلًا he says and he explains why and you see the intelligence of Abu Bakr because he knew who to go to and the Prophet wasallam said to him if you were to maintain your state when you're with me when you go home the angels would shake your hand in the marketplace and on, while you're lying on your bed however he said Sa'at and sa'a. There's a time for this and a time for that. Things fluctuate. You can't be in constant 27th night of Ramadan, ittikaf super, iman, high, rush, ibadah, tadar, you know, that mode 24-7. Right? That's a hal. It's a spiritual state. And the ulama say, dawamul hali muhal. The nature of a state is that it fluctuates. It's... it's uh, it's not constant. Things go up, things go down. So, when you have the high wave, catch it and ride it as long as you can. When it goes down, you know, maintain that that a standard that is good. Uh, another hadith, the Prophet sallallahu says that for everything there is a period of activity and inactivity. Shilrah. So, whoever's period of uh, inactivity is in accordance with my sunnah, then they are guided. And whoever's level of inactivity is other than that, then they are destroyed. So, if you have the downside, you know, the low, you still want to have it at a certain threshold. Right? You're still going to pray. Right? You're still going to do certain nawafil, certain khayrat. The, low, the, the lower part of the threshold, the lower part is not give up everything. Right? Try to maintain and then just ride that wave. Mm -hmm. Alhamdulillah.